It's another edition of Making Money. We welcome Ron Hebert, the financial coach, retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead, a retired broadcaster. Show where we uh, try to provide a little bit of financial literacy, give you some tips on investing, get you to pay attention, hopefully. Let's talk about an industry, Ron, that's, you know, it's in the news a lot. All you have to do is turn on the television and see all the advertising for the different types of cars that are coming into the marketplace right now. And I say that sort of underlining it with the central theme being a lot of electric vehicles. So we thought we'd take a look at the auto industry. This was a suggestion from a listener, wasn't it? Absolutely. A listener emailed us about five, six weeks ago, and they said, I'm interested in the auto industry and the ramifications of buying and selling. Can you uh, give us a tutorial on investing in it? So I decided that it would be a great idea to do that. Now, just a note, if you are going to um, send us a show idea, we have them sort of warehoused five, six weeks in advance. So we're more than happy to do a show for you. But what we'd like to do is just let you know that if we're doing uh, a show, number one, uh, a show like this takes uh, three, four weeks just to do all the research on it, put it together. And secondly, we, we, we put it in line with the stuff that we're already preparing. So I've got shows that I've, I'm continuously working on all the time. They're in various stages of production. So if you send us a note, and uh, usually you'll get a comment back from me right away with a short answer, but the show will typically be five, six weeks out before you'll actually hear uh, a full 20-minute podcast on it. So if you're sending us a note, all I can say is that uh, Gordon and I are a, be patient. Yeah, Gordon and I are a two-man band. <laughs> <laughs> well, and as you say, you're in various stages of production, kind of like automobiles. <laughs> yes, kind of like automobiles. So just be patient with us. We'll grind through and get you there, but uh, we don't have a production staff of, of uh, 10 people behind us putting this stuff out. Maybe someday, but right now it's just Gordon and I grinding these things out. So uh, give us a little bit of time and because we're, we're working as hard as we can. So let's talk about the industry of, of, of automobiles. I mean, you know, I don't think you have to be a rocket scientist to realize it's a big industry. Well, global sales in 2021 were 66.7 million units, and the dollar value just associated with that was $3.8 trillion. So it's one of the world's biggest industries. In fact, we used to think of the United States as sort of the center of the industry's sales universe. Well, that's changed. China is now the largest market with 21 million vehicles sold in 2021 versus about uh, 15, 16 million in the U.S. So uh, China is the market everybody is trying to go after because it has the biggest growth potential next to India because there's still so many people that don't have uh, autos or, or a vehicle to get around it. So there's a big untapped market there for everyone. But yet, interestingly enough, Ron, the, 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 the sales are shrinking marginally, right? Yeah, global car sales have actually shrunk by 0.4% per year between 2017 and 2022. So uh, sales aren't going anywhere, and that's for a number of reasons. First of all, I think people are waiting on the sidelines to see what happens to uh, electric cars. And so if you have a fossil fuel-powered vehicle and you're looking at e-cars, 
Well, it's hard to get excited about e-cars right now because they're so expensive. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But uh, And also the technology keeps getting better and the price keeps coming down. So a lot of people are just hanging on to the vehicles they have because we all know that uh, essentially fossil fuel-powered vehicles are going to be legislated out of existence over the next 20 years. So there's a lot of people, like me, for example, um, I don't think that electric cars have the technology yet that wants me that uh, will get me to put my foot in the water they have to get a lot cheaper they have to get more mileage they there's just a number of things they need to approve on they need to more places you can go to charge uh before i'm going to be interested so i'm one of those people that's sitting on my vehicles till that happens and and one of the big you know, motivators here is that everybody's looking for better mileage, whether it's a fossil fuel, like an internal combustion engine, or an electric vehicle. Everybody wants better mileage, right? That's what it's all about. Yeah, I mean, it's great talking about how far these things will go in the city where we are going slow. But let's face it, you take these things out on the, on the highway, and the mileage just drops through the floor. So, you know, every... Uh, hour and a half to two hours, uh, you're going to have to stop to charge this thing up, which depending on uh, whether you're at a level two or a level three charging uh, place, it's going to take you 20 minutes to an hour, maybe even an hour and a half to completely charge your vehicle up. So, you know, uh, if, if you wanted to drive, let's say, seven or 800 kilometers in a day, it might involve three or four stops maybe totaling three or four hours to, to get your vehicle charged so you can keep going. And for many people, especially like me, I, I take my car out the road. I want to have something where I'm not stopping every hour and a half or two hours to spend another hour uh, recharging it. And, uh, you know, the typical thing now is trying to find charging units because so many charging units, they're not working. So you go to a town that has two charging units. One's got a car on it where the uh, the owner's gone into a restaurant or gone shopping for two or three hours, and the other one doesn't work. Well, you know, it just takes you forever to get anywhere. The other problem that's going on here, I know my son's waiting for a new vehicle, a, a company vehicle, and it's been on back order for quite some time. The, the semiconductor issue is a big problem for car manufacturers right now. There's between 500 and 1,500 semiconductors or chips in every car now. And the amount in cars has been rising dramatically over the last decade because people just want so many more uh, toys uh, uh, (laughs) toys in their their car. You know, they want instant connectivity. And, of course, uh, you know, they want heads-up display on their dash. And the, the list goes on and on. And all of these things... You know, they, they, they want cruise control, which automatically will keep them a certain distance from a, a car ahead of them. And that takes a huge amount of computing power, and especially now with uh, so many environmental standards, uh, the processing power just to control the emissions that come out of your exhaust is enormous. So, you know, if you don't have the semiconductors, you don't build the cars. And unfortunately, what most of the auto manufacturers have been doing, Gord, is they've, instead of, if they've got a chip and they've got a chance to put it in a sixty or $70,000 car versus a $20,000 car, they're going to put it in the sixty or $70,000 vehicle because the markup is way higher on those things. So you go into places to buy vehicles, 
and you'll find that there's high end stuff. If you're willing to pay uh, sixty or seventy thousand dollars for a vehicle, you can go onto a showroom floor and find stuff. But try to find stuff at the lower end. Well, that's where they're pausing production and they're focusing on high end vehicles because that's where the markets and margins are. And I guess, too, in this climate that we're in right now, Ron, I mean, we just had another interest rate bump. Uh, that means that finance costs go up, right? That's that's going to scare people away, too. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know about you, Gord, but I've been talking to people lately that are taking uh, six and seven years to pay off a vehicle. And uh, as the finance costs go up, the only way you can uh, afford a vehicle is either buy one that's lower in price, and the average vehicle in Canada is $40,000. We hit that just a few months ago, where the average vehicle sold in showrooms right now is 40000 And to finance with that, when rates go up, what you end up doing is you're stretching out the amortization on this, which means that you're paying forever to own something. And I think, too, a lot of us, uh, I know myself included, uh, I mean, cars are built a lot better than they used to be. I mean, I would regularly turn cars over every three or four years, it seemed, but uh, not anymore. I mean, they last longer. They're better built. I look at the vehicles that I have, and I've got, uh, a, really, I've got a 2010 car that I drive. i got a 2011 motorcycle that I have. And I've had them for the entire duration uh, since they were new. And I've got a uh, Ford F-150 truck that's 2011, so it's 12 years old, too. And like you say, you know, people are driving cars longer because they're better built. The average age in Canada is 9.7 years, and in the U.S. is 11.8 years. And people just don't want to give up their vehicles right now because, frankly, uh, you know, it used to be you had a, you had a, a vehicle with a with between 100 and 150,000 kilometers on it. Uh, frankly, that vehicle had had it. Now, regularly, you see vehicles that have 200, 250,000 kilometers on them. And uh, frankly, uh, you get them tested out mechanically, and they're still in great shape. Yeah, that, and, and the other thing that that's done is it's made used cars more expensive, too. I've got some friends in the car business, and they say like used cars are like at a premium right now. Oh, you know, I, I have uh, a friend of mine, his son uh, is, is buying uh, half and three-quarter ton trucks in Alberta because so many of them were turned over when the oil and gas industry collapsed. And he's, he's taking himself on, to the border, right? He's taking himself on the border. And yeah. you know what? He's making just the markup as the middleman is ten to $15,000 per vehicle that he's taking south and often you'll find that new vehicles are lesser in price than one that's even uh, a year old because frankly you can't buy a new one and so the demand for use has gone up so much it's made it expensive and you know what's surprising is that millennials in generation x don't drive much in fact i've got four kids and i only have two of them that drive the other two uh, take the bus and uh, uh, public transit, or they 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 take Uber, or if they they are going to make a trip, they usually get a vehicle with three or four of their friends and make a trip to the mountains to ski or whatever they're going to do, and they just rent a vehicle 
and split the cost between them for for three or four days. But other than that, they don't uh, they don't use a vehicle at all. So you know that's one of the, the drivers that's facing the industry. It's just uh, people are not uh, driving as much, especially the next generation. They'd rather put their money into other things. So do we want to take a look at some of the companies that make a lot of money or uh, what, you know, I, I would think, I don't think anybody would be surprised to see Toyota top the list. They, uh, they're a big outfit. <laughs> well, the 10 most profitable car manufacturers in 2020 were Toyota, number one, at $19.1 billion. Now, everybody's going to talk, ask where Tesla is, and we'll get to that in just a second. Number two is Volkswagen at $15.4 billion. General Motors is three at six point seven billion, BMW four at five point five billion, Honda four point one billion, Volvo, which is owned by the Chinese, is three point eight billion, SAIC Motor, which is another Chinese, three point seven billion, Peugeot three point six billion, China's FAW Group at two point eight five billion, and Daimler, which makes Benz. And, uh, and, Cry- and Chrysler too, right? Yeah, that's that. I think that's part of the Daimler portfolio, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, well, actually, actually, it was part of the portfolio. And what happened is that uh, Daimler, after they bought it, they decided they didn't want to end up sharing platforms anymore. So Fiat actually bought. Oh, there you go. Okay, yeah. And All right. and and of course, Fiat has merged with. Uh, either with a, a French company with, it's either Renault or, or, or Peugeot that they're, they're trying to merge with. And so you've got Chrysler, you've got Jeep, you've got, uh, Fiat and, uh, you've got Alfa Romeo all in that, uh, all in that brand. It's a strange brew. <laughs> yeah. And they, and they, in fact, they changed the name and they're now calling it, uh, Stellantis, which, uh, uh, and they're sort of middle. They're they're not uh, they're not uh, at the bottom. The least profitable, which are Nissan, which lost six billion last year. Tata, which owns uh, is a big Indian company, which owns uh, Jaguar, and they lost one point seven billion. Renault lost one hundred and fifty eight million. Ford, which is retooling uh, to make a big push into electric, and you'll see their Ford F one fifty. Uh, uh, electric version uh, coming out here in the next couple months earned 47 million, and Mazda made 112 million. So those are the least profitable. Um, so you know, there's lots of other cars which are are other vehicle manufacturers which are sort of in that middle zone where they're not making a lot of money, but they're not losing a lot of money, and it's been a tough go since uh, 2020. So I think some of these manufacturers. Uh, we're going to likely go into recession here over the next 12 months. But after that, these guys have been tooling up and a lot of the expenses are already behind them. And going into the, the next economic upturn, some of these guys could actually perform quite well. You mentioned Tesla. That's, that's the, the elephant in the room here. You know, Tesla has had very smart manufacturing, um, Gord, because, you know, you know Everybody talks about the car for the um, Joe and Jane average, that they're going to be building electric cars for for mass market, and nobody's doing that so far. And Tesla was the first to market, and they figured out that the only people that can afford these things 
are upper middle class and beyond. So they started with a car that was um, between $100,000 and $150,000, and now they've got vehicles in the fifty dollars to $60,000, but most of their vehicles tend to go toward the higher end. So Tesla has not really mass market produced, and it's going to be very interesting to see over the next couple of years whether companies like Mazda and Nissan and Honda and Toyota, which know how to manufacture cars and manufacture them cheap enough to appeal to the mass market, whether they're going to be able to get a, uh, a leap on uh, Tesla and start producing cars for everyone. Tesla's interesting because they've got a market cap of $760 billion, and uh, they're as big as the next 12 companies combined. And frankly, they're, they're just barely profitable. So people are valuing them as a tech stock and not as an auto manufacturer, and we'll have to see where things go. But, you know, personally, uh, I look at Tesla, and I, I just think there's other places uh, for my own money that I would rather be because once the auto manufacturing, electric auto manufacturing goes mainstream, I'm just not uh, too sure how Tesla is going to be able to compete. I mean, they might do just fine, but there's other companies that are so profitable, and uh, they know how to make money right now. And uh, Tesla hasn't proved that they're a big money spinner yet. They proved that they can survive. But when you're as big as the next 12 companies combined, including the big guys like Daimler and BMW and Honda and Ford and uh, uh, Volkswagen, you know, you're, when you're as big as the next 12 companies already, you've got a lot of big expectations uh, already in that price. So, you know, I think you want to be a little cautious if you're, you're investing in Tesla. So we talked about the fact that people are driving cars longer and, you know, and you have to maintain a used car. Eventually, you're going to have to do some work on it. What about the parts sector of this industry? Is there an opportunity there? Well, I like companies that make parts, and especially <laughs> for multiple car brands, because they don't particularly care who wins or loses in the industry. I mean, if you make money, if you make parts for Toyota or you make parts for Volkswagen, do you care who the winner is? Not really. I mean, you hope both actually do well, but they win no matter uh, who number one is, and they'll build for anyone who needs their specialized parts. And buying a parts manufacturer is making a bet on the industry as a whole and not an individual company. And you got examples like, you know, very seldom, Gord, do you see companies in Canada that are world-class players. Magna is one of them, right? Magna is our one of our manufacturing success stories with 347 facilities and 90 sales and engineering centers. Uh, they have a footprint in 28 countries and only 9% of their sales come from Canada. So they are truly an international player. Their PE is 14, their yields 3%. And uh, they're just a good example of a parts manufacturer that's done well. Symbols MG trades on Toronto. Martin Rhea, that's another one, right? Another Canadian company, isn't it? Yeah, and Martin Ray is a small Canadian auto manufacturer that uh, essentially their focus is on North America. And uh, the exciting thing about these guys is they're just beginning to develop batteries for electric vehicles themselves. And um, over the next year or two, uh, they're planning to start rolling out production in that area. Uh, their 22 times earnings have a yield of 2.2%. The symbol is MRE-T. And of course, 
Um, there's lots of parts manufacturers, especially if you look in, in um, Korea, you look in Japan, uh, you look in Europe. There's, there's a whole bunch of them, but I'm just giving examples of some homegrown names because so seldom do you see anything in manufacturing that's actually made in Canada that's world-class, and these guys are. Okay, let's talk about once you got the parts, then you have to get somebody to fix it. So the repair business, I would think, would be an area to look at as well in this sector. Well, the repair business, I mean, the average auto is past $40,000 uh, as far as uh, a new vehicle, according to J.D. Power, and that is a high cost uh, that's caused more and more people to hang on to their vehicles like you and I, and they drive them further and longer than at any time before. And this has caused a boom in the service industry because older require cars require more maintenance the older they get. So, you know, you've got companies like, uh, and I've been to Napa stores a uh, hundred times. I wouldn't say I hang out there, but I've been to Napa lots of times because often with routine stuff, like if I need to change a headlight uh, or or, you know, I need, I need something simple. Like yeah, windshield even a wipers or whatever. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you can do, you, you know, at a, at $125 an hour for service costs or whatever they are now, it's just as easy to go and, uh, and, and replace some of these things yourself, even a few. So they have 10,000 locations in 15 countries and they own Napa. Their PE is 16, their yields 2.6. They trade in New York, the symbols GPC. So they're a good example of a service and repair company. And uh, uh, the next one on my list, um, I know you shop there, Gord. I've been through their door a couple of times, yeah. Oh, yeah. Canadian Tire. Uh, Canadian Tire is another place uh, that really caters to the do-it-yourselfer. And Canadian Tire, ctc.a, trades on Toronto. And their earnings have held up really well uh, because much of the stuff that they have you're not going to order from Amazon or anywhere else. You're just going to go down. If you've got a weekend, you want to fix something, you'll go down and buy the tools. You can, you've got them. You can go down and pick up what you want. You can take it home with you. And surprisingly, even though they own so many other things like Mark Work Warehouse and Sports Check, about 60% of the revenue comes from its automotive division. Now, they're 10 times earnings, and they've got a yield of almost 4%. What about AutoZone? That's the, they're they're an outfit in the states. Are they big too? They're the biggest auto parts and accessories distributor in the U.S. Uh, their symbol is AZO. Uh, they're at 17 times earnings, and they do not have a dividend at all. But they've uh, they've been a pretty good growth story over the years. So there's three examples of service and repair companies. I mean, and Canadian Tire is one of those places you can not only buy parts. But, you know, every time I go by a Canadian Tire location and I look in their, their service bay, it's their service bay is always full. Yeah, they're doing oil changes and front-end alignments and all that kind of, you know, tune-ups or whatever. Yeah, they're, they, they, seem to, they seem to have a pretty good business model. Yeah, so these are, these are good examples of companies to look at. Now, cer certainly, you can expand your search into Korea and Japan and more in the United States, but they're just good examples of, of companies that uh, are, are, are solid uh, players in that space. So what about sales? I mean, I know there are publicly traded companies. Uh, well, Auto Canada comes to mind, right? The big based here in Edmonton. Yeah, a, here. Yeah. yeah, ACQ, they've got 78 dealerships in eight provinces and one state. 
Uh, I thought this was interesting. I mean, last, I think they processed 756,000 service and collision claims. They're only trading at six times earnings. They don't have a yield. But, you know, people don't realize how big the used car uh, market is for sales and service. There's 39 million used vehicles were sold in the U.S. in 2020. The used market is 2.9 times bigger than the market for new vehicles. So this is a monster market. And uh, when people can't afford uh, a new car, um, they, they, they look for something that's been gently used with low mileage. CarMax is a good example in the U.S., KMX. They sell cars and do financing in 41 states in the U.S., and their PE is 13, no yield. But this is a very good business to be in, especially when the economy slows down. Because, uh, frankly, if you can't afford a new car, uh, you get the sales and service. I mean, if you buy a car from a dealer, guess where you're most likely to take it back for service? The place you bought it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the, what are the considerations here as we wrap up? The, the, this is one you got to pay attention to, right? A lot of different areas you can dip your toes in the water. Yeah, auto manufacturing and auto sales are cyclical businesses. So the first thing you want to understand is when the economy is doing well, these are doing well. If you go into a recession, these kind of stocks are usually the first to, to drop dramatically. So they're stocks uh, that are meant to be traded, and you don't want to buy and hold them through a cycle. Now, auto repair and auto parts sales often tend to do well in tougher economies, but even they... Uh, will tend to, to go down when you go into recession. But they tend to hold up better uh, because people have to do more servicing themselves. And their defense, and, and, and like I say, they will hold up better, but they, they still, if you look, pull up a chart and take a look at some of the, the, the auto repair and auto parts sales company, you'll see that even in a recession, these guys go down. And I guess the third thing to note is that uh, I think the transition to electric fields is going to be very bumpy. In spite of the hype, their high price, lack of range, and long charging times still have the public preferring ICE vehicles or internal combustion engine uh, cars. So, you know, there's a lot of hype about EVs, but there's still, you know, the average, you know, I checked it out, Gord. The average uh, uh, EV in the U.S. was sold last year was $77,000 today. Well, yeah, like, that's... That's crazy. That's, price, that's pricey, right? Yeah, not, yeah. Not, not a lot of folks can fit into that economic bracket. So it's No, uh, no. And so in spite of the hype, these things have a long way to go uh, before they, uh, they, they reach mass market because there, are no back, there is no battery technology currently. I'm not saying there won't be, but there's no battery technology currently uh, that can bring down the price enough to make these things uh, appeal to you know, the person who's looking at a twenty to $25,000 car. And last time I looked, there was about, oh, under 25000 There's There's at least 15, 20 cars from different manufacturers that you can look in that fill the bill. So until they bring the price down, the average individual, just out of necessity, is going to continue to buy internal combustion uh, engine vehicles because uh, they, they just can't afford uh, the kind of price tag that comes uh, with saying you're an eco-warrior. Well, and, you know, and then you've got to figure out if you can afford to put gasoline in it, too, the way things are going. Anyway, an interesting sector. Thank you for the suggestion to whoever uh, mailed in that suggestion for the show. 
And uh, that's what we do here. We like to find stuff. We, we welcome your input. You can reach us through our website, letsmakemoney.ca, or through cfcw.com, where the, ho- the show is, is hosted. Uh, so I guess we, we'd wrap this one up by saying happy motoring, Ron. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> feel like Murray Westgate in the old ESO commercials on Hockey Night in Canada. But anyway, we're back again next week with the financial coach, Ron Hebert. The show is called Making Money. We'll join you then. Thank you. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.